0: Welcome to GovCast. I am your host, Managing Editor, Amy Kluber. Most people know NASA, but many might not know how impactful the organization is across all facets of our lives, more than just space exploration. NASA has a hand in weather, robotics, aircraft development, even smoke detectors and medical tests. From the start, NASA acting CIO Jeff Seton has taken an interest in robotics that eventually landed him at the agency in various roles, including CIO at NASA's Langley Research Center. The CIO's shop is currently amid a large digital transformation that is working to ensure security and accessibility of large swaths of data. Data that enables activities like those mentioned. Seton discusses his lifelong passion for his NASA career, and how IT efforts are impacting the agency's overall missions and expanding well into the future. This episode is sponsored by Dell Technologies and TVAR Solutions.
1: Welcome. I'm Matt Walker, Regional sales Director for Civilian and Space and Research at Dell Technologies. Thanks for joining today's Govcast. Today's discussion is focused on the technology impact at NASA and the role that the CIO plays in applying IT solutions to enable mission success. Dell Technologies has worked in collaboration with leaders at NASA to move our country and the world forward in space exploration. Dell is proud to partner with Kerasoft and TVAR solutions to help drive this progress. Together, we provided IT solutions across NASA centers, missions, and programs. Please join me in welcoming NASA CIO Jeff Seaton, as he discusses how IT efforts are impacting the agency's overall mission, surrounding more than just space exploration, but all facets of our lives.
0: Jeff, thanks so much for joining us on GovCast. It's great to have you, and I'm looking forward to learning more about NASA's technology today.
1: Great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So you've been at NASA for quite a while, I think. What got you interested in your electrical engineering area in college to begin with?
1: Wow, going back to the beginning, um, <laughs> when I was a, a kid, I loved taking things apart, right? And I, I had great parents, but neither one of them really wanted to fix things, so I got to take things apart and try to make them work. And then I, I started uh, learning about uh, computer programming. And this is back in the '80s, and so computer programming led to an interest in engineering. And when I went to uh, Virginia Tech, I decided that I could see physical things, and so that was like mechanical engineering. And I couldn't see the inside of electrical things, and so. I decided I wanted somebody to teach me about electronics and how electricity worked and connecting that with computer programming. And so that's really how I decided on electrical engineering and got an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in electrical engineering. And that led to an interest in robotics while I was in school, too. So kind of got involved in playing with robots as a convergence of electronics and mechanical systems and computer programming.
0: Wow. And then now that you are at NASA, kind of that whole curiosity, I guess, translated to something very profound, considering how much technology goes on there. What drew you to the agency?
1: Yeah, well, it really was that interest in robotics, because while I was still in uh, in college, I was looking for internships. And uh, I was able to get an internship at NASA Langley in Hampton, Virginia, working in their robotics and automation branch. And so for a summer, I got to design robotic hands, end effectors, we called them, to grab things in space and work on assembling things in space. That was what we were investigating back then. And this was in the, the late 80s. And so that got me connected to NASA with an internship. And then when I graduated looking for a job, that same organization had an opening and I applied for it and was selected. So right out of college, I was able to start working at NASA and uh, look at applying robotics to space based assembly. So it was a real exciting beginning to a career.
0: Wow, that is, you know, some people dream of being astronauts, but it seems like you were very drawn to the like behind the scenes work, which is pretty much what CIOs do now is they make the technology happen for such important groundbreaking discoveries like, you know, those at NASA and going to the moon and manned flight and everything. So that's pretty interesting.
1: Yep, it's been a great career. So I started back in in 91. So it's coming up on 30 years that I've been at NASA. And when I first began, for whatever reason, I thought I'd be at NASA for maybe five years and then move on to to some other place. But I've been able to actually change jobs within NASA about every five years, roughly five year uh, intervals. But, you know, growing and building my skills and abilities, whether it was technically or in a leadership capacity. So it really has been a great place to work.
0: Wow, they hooked you. <laughs> they <did. laughs> what has been a- intriguing about how NASA has changed over the years? You mentioned your interest really began in the late 80s, 90s, but I assume technology with its rapid changes over the years, how has that looked like at NASA?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when I first started at NASA, I can remember sitting in an office probably maybe two years into my career. And the World Wide Web was the thing then, right? It was new. And, you know, looking at something on your, you know, computer display. And at that time, advertising was novel that would connect to anything that was on the Internet. So, you know, my career really began at the inception of what we, you know, think of today as the modern Internet. And so seeing that evolve over the last several decades has been a big change and evolution. And I've been able to be a part of how NASA applies that. But, you know, NASA has such a broad portfolio of missions, right? So we work with understanding the Earth to, you know, putting people into space and then exploring the solar system and then understanding how aeronautics applies to future aircraft. So that hasn't changed, right? The diversity of the mission portfolio. But it continues to evolve as we learn more. And so it's been a real exciting place to be a part of that ongoing but ever-changing mission, set of missions that are you know, really exciting and inspiring. I think they're inspiring for the American people, actually for people worldwide, but they're inspiring for those of us that work at NASA, too. And so it really does make it a great place to work. I think another change that I've seen, though, getting back to your original question, is you know NASA has many different field centers around the country, and each field center has kind of a unique flavor to it, a unique culture, and provides unique value to the integrated organization that we call NASA today. But there's been a shift towards more operating as a cohesive enterprise, right? So a single NASA, as opposed to maybe individual operating units within a company, So the uniqueness is still there, but more and more we're operating as a collective agency. And that includes some of the IT work that I do today, right? That's kind of underpinning some of the changes that I'm seeing and working on even today.
0: Right. And that goes into the whole enterprise strategy that you guys are currently working on. Yes. You actually were CIO at Langley. So what were some of your priorities during that time?
1: When I think about you know how NASA is organized, and, and I've spent you know more than 20 years at NASA Langley, whether it was as a research engineer, or chief technology officer, eventually the chief information officer there on the senior leadership team. And really the NASA mission gets accomplished at the center level, right? The rubber meets the road at our field centers. That's where the work is getting done. At the agency level, there's a lot of planning and coordination and strategy and engagement at the highest levels of our government. But It's at the field centers where the work is taking place. And so as the CIO there, I really had a lot of opportunities and experience at applying technology to enable the mission, right? So trying to figure out how to secure things, but not stop the work, right? And so gained an appreciation for the decisions that a CIO makes and the CIO organization, right, the entire team. Because there would be times where we'd make decisions that made it a lot harder for the researchers and engineers and scientists to get their jobs done. And so learning how to navigate between enabling the mission while securing the mission or moving towards efficient solutions while not um, stopping the innovation that's happening that's needed on the mission side. So I think really trying to balance multiple competing priorities as a center CIO was a real area of learning and growing awareness for me. But I also had the opportunity to work on my leadership abilities, which I continue to I hope I'm growing there today as well. But, you know, leading a team of 50 or 60 civil servants and then several hundred contractors that were trying to meet the needs of folks that had this diverse set of mission responsibilities that I talked about earlier was another opportunity for growth that I was able to take and, and hopefully, you know, benefit from.
0: So you have a great understanding of, you know, the importance of those mission centers now that you're at headquarters. So do you take into account kind of that understanding in order to further some of the IT strategies and focuses?
1: I certainly hope so, because, you know, it's interesting. I, I like to say that, you know, everybody is the CIO of their own house, right? We've all got IT at home, and so we manage that. But then when you roll things up to a large organization, and NASA is a large organization, you can't have you know 10,000 people managing IT and so having an understanding and awareness of the decisions that I make as a CIO or that my leadership team makes and how they affect individuals is really important because yeah, we are working to try to make NASA better. And part of that means let's have a consistent set of IT capabilities that are shared so that everybody doesn't have to create their own. And one of the things that as we try to move towards an enterprise mindset, an enterprise strategy to the IT capabilities that NASA is leveraging, There's also an acknowledgement that one size doesn't fit all, and so there will be some uniqueness. But what I want to see happen is, Make sure that we're having the unique solutions only where they're really required, where the mission really needs a different solution than maybe a broad solution that is serving the majority of the agency or all of the agency in a lot of the use cases. right? And so applying that understanding of what life is like at the center now that I'm at the agency level making a certain set or type of decisions, I think has been really helpful. And I hope that, you know, the agency workforce is seeing that as we do shift towards enterprise solutions. It's not with blinders on, and we do understand the need to have uniqueness where it really matters for mission success. Because when it comes down to it, I see the CIO's job as enabling the mission success of the organization for NASA. It just happens to be sending men and women into space or sending spacecraft into space or designing new technologies that make our air transportation system more efficient or understanding the Earth. And so those are some pretty weighty missions, and I don't want to be responsible for slowing those down. I want to be responsible for accelerating them. And so trying to figure out how to do that is a real challenge.
0: There's certainly a lot of activity that, you know, hits the general public in many different areas. So talk about a little bit more about how you're strategizing around customer experience, considering your prior role in the mission center area. How are you going to advance that?
1: Sure. And when I think about customer experience, NASA is an agency, well, we provide data that's used worldwide, right? So we do have an external reach. Part of our charter is to disseminate the discoveries as broadly as and widely as practicable, right? But when I think about customer experience, I'm thinking a lot about our NASA customers, right, that I serve. And so... One of the things that I don't think we've done real well over in the past years is actually measuring the customer experience, really understanding how effective are we at delivering the services that our NASA workforce needs to be effective. And so one of the things that we're taking a look at now is, you know, creating baseline measurements of the customer experience. And that goes beyond, is it somebody happy or not happy with the CIO, right? It's actually getting down to a more granular level in terms of the various services and capabilities we provide. Because some of them may be you know, going gangbusters, doing well, and others may be faltering. And so how, as a, a leader, do I have insight into what's working and what's not so that then I can focus attention appropriately on those areas that need the attention? And so it really goes back to that mission enablement, the services that we provide, really the customer experience. Are they happy? Are these IT services making their lives better and making it more possible for them to get their work done instead of making Making it harder. And so measuring that, then coming up with my broad team. And and when I think about my team, it's not just in Washington, it's across the centers, the CIOs and their teams at each of the centers who are working to implement the single IT strategy that I'm responsible for developing. And so, how can we, as a collective team across the agency, address the areas of the customer experience that aren't going so well?
0: Now, I want to go back a little bit to something you said earlier about data. I don't think people really understand how much NASA does. You know, it's not just the space shuttle and et cetera. But data is going to be a huge focus for you guys. You know, the cloud has been a big priority over the past few years. I think there was an estimation that you are probably going to be handling like 250 petabytes of data or something like that. So, you know, looking forward how is the cloud going to be part of that strategy in order to manage that and help the agency at large be able to you know use it
1: sure yeah that's a great question and many of our missions do generate a tremendous amount of data whether they're you know scanning outer space and understanding the solar system and beyond that we live in or understanding the earth right so satellites orbiting the earth and Collecting data that's helping us to understand the weather and patterns and forecasting better. And we collaborate with other agencies on that. But, you know, for NASA to continue to build the computing and the storage capabilities internally to deal with that growing data landscape, that becomes economically not feasible. And so we are actively leveraging the cloud that doesn't mean that we're closing down every NASA system or data center, right? But we certainly have consolidated a lot of them in the last 10 years, 5 to 10 years. And the cloud really can help us because it enables us to burst, you know, create additional capacity when it's needed. So we may have a mission that's going to have a need for additional capacity, say for a year or two years or three years. It doesn't make sense for us to build a new data center just for, you know, that capability. Well, we can go out to industry and have industry buy that we can buy that capability from industry to store that data. And it's not just storage, but it's also computing, right? So if we can buy an expanded compute capability that can let us process a number of issues and challenges and problems right run computer programs to analyze this data and do it a hundred times faster because we have a hundred times the computing resources that we need for maybe a month as opposed to having to have those inside the nasa environment or not have access to that kind of cloud-based technology and it take a hundred times longer for us to get that job done the cloud is really game-changing It's not the answer to every problem, but it certainly is a solution to many of the problems. And within the CIO community, we're creating the foundation that our missions can then build on. So we're trying to make it easier for our missions to be able to leverage those capabilities. And many of them are actively pursuing the cloud as they look to their future solutions.
0: So you're currently acting CIO, and you assumed that role pretty early in the pandemic or, you know, in the middle of the start of it, (laughs) Do you see COVID-19 impacting any of your tech priorities?
1: Yeah, so I was the deputy CIO and then became the acting CIO in April. And most of NASA worked, moved towards a a teleworking posture in the month of March, right? So we've had upwards of 90% of our workforce working remotely. We're slowly backing off of that now to, you know, 75 to 80% today of our workforce is still working remotely, more people gradually coming back on site as needed. One of the things I think is that we've this has confirmed that the IT tools and architecture that we've been putting in place for the last few years actually is able to do what the agency needs, right? We had almost a seamless transition to this remote work posture. Which, honestly, even I had questions about. We did a, an exercise you know, in early March where we encouraged most of our workforce to work remotely just to test out and see where the problems were. And thankfully, there weren't a lot of problems. Now, that doesn't mean we haven't had issues with you know our network at times, and we've done some re-architecting. But NASA people have been a kind of a remote workforce, a mobile workforce for years, right? And so as the CIO, one of the things that we've been trying to do as a community is enable people to securely work from almost anywhere, right? There are some places where it's going to be tough to work securely from, but we've tried to enable that mobile workforce. And so I don't think it's changed our focus as much as it's underscored the need to continue the evolution that we have been, you know, started several years ago. But certainly collaboration and doing that effectively with a diverse set of partners, whether it's industry or academia. And doing that effectively and securely is an area where we have opportunities to grow and we're going to continue doing that. And then, you know, cybersecurity, the evolving threat landscape is, I think, job security for, <laughs> for people in the cyber arena and for CIOs, right? How do we balance cybersecurity and managing those threats with enabling people to get their work done, right? We can't be so secure that we lock everything down. And so that's just going to continue to be a priority going forward.
0: Yep, definitely a balancing act. So speaking of security, How will the workforce play out there?
1: I think that, you know, you and I are probably the weakest link in the cybersecurity landscape, right? If an attacker can convince me to turn over kind of the keys to the kingdom that I might be responsible for, they don't have to break into the systems. They can just, you know, use human factors to get the information they want and then compromise our system. So we're always working to help the NASA workforce be aware of the threats that are out there and to minimize... The chances that an attacker will get at NASA data or partner data through an individual's you know lapse in judgment, that's going to keep happening, right? We aren't perfect. And so one of the things that we try to do in the CIO community is support our people with technologies that will minimize the likelihood that they'll... Be compromised, right? And an example of that is phishing, right? And phishing with a PH. So, you know, through email, trying to compromise information of an individual. So we have automated tools. You know, industry has tools available today that can actually eliminate a lot of the phishing threats before they ever get to your inbox or my inbox. And so even though we train people on how to spot, you know, problematic attachments in emails. We're doing a pretty good job today of keeping those from ever hitting somebody's inbox so people can spend more time focusing on their work and less time being concerned about, is this information legit? But just the same, we have to continue the education and awareness campaign because the threats continue to evolve. So we're always trying to help folks understand where the threats might be that they need to pay attention to.
0: So moving ahead, looking into next year, you know, who knows if there's going to be a new CIO by then or what's going to happen. But how are you seeing, you know, a lot of your priorities are probably going to be compounding on themselves or building off previous strategies. So where are you seeing the most growth and is there anything in particular exciting that you're looking forward to?
1: Well, I think this is a tremendously exciting time to be a CIO. A decade ago, some of the trade publications were predicting the demise of the CIO, that, uh, you know, IT was just going to go the way of electricity in the wall, right? It's just a capability that's there that you plug into. But really, I see IT at the center of many of the exciting things that are taking place within corporations today. So to be in the CIO community, it's just a fascinating time. You know, within NASA, we're taking a look at, you know, a concept called a digital transformation in many companies, right? How can we apply the emerging IT capabilities to fundamentally change the way that we do work in the future, right? So not just, you know, improve and gain efficiency, but to do things differently because we can leverage technology, whether it's artificial intelligence and machine learning, to be able to create new revelations in some of the research that we're doing. We're also taking a look, you know, we talked about data and how can we analyze large volumes of data, you know, big data to discover things that 10 years ago we never would have been able to see. Some things as simple as, you know, making cybersecurity transparent. You know, we just talked about that. How can we make that experience better for our customers so that it's not getting in the way of the work that they're doing? And then across the federal government, you know, IT modernization. So there's an ongoing need to continue to update and upgrade our technology and improve the way that we implement our IT systems. And those are just a few of the opportunities going forward. So yeah, I think whether I'm the CIO or it's somebody else, I'm going to be excited to be involved in the future of NASA IT. You know, I hope for the rest of my career. It's a great place to work. The people at NASA are just incredible. So it just has really been a, a privilege to be able to spend my career at NASA.
0: It certainly sounds like it. And, you know, you started off with robotics and now you're continuing into some form of robotics, you know, considering the automation that's going to possibly play a huge role in uh, government at large. So, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on GovCast and this was a great conversation.
1: Thanks, Amy. It's been my pleasure.
0: Thanks again to our episode sponsors, Dell Technologies and Tvar Solutions.
1: NASA is continuing to transform itself to better enable the mission as they advance towards further space exploration and research. Leveraging innovative information technologies continues to prove critical in accomplishing these new frontiers. Dell Technologies, Tvar Solutions, and Kerasoft are excited to continue supporting NASA in driving digital transformation to ensure security and accessibility of large swaths of data to enable further space exploration. Thank you for joining us on GovCast.
0: GovCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentcio.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. GovCast is produced by Amy Kluber. Theme music provided by Big Hoax. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.